Before I get into the message, uh, I don't know about you, but um, I've been looking forward to the second half of Ecclesiastes. It has a lot of really practical things, and frankly, it's easier to understand. (laughs) Those first few six chapters of Ecclesiastes 6, there are some great stuff in there, uh, but it could be a real challenge to try to get it nailed down. Um, So... But it laid a necessary foundation. You'll never find meaning and purpose in this sinful world. We have to look to the Lord. So Ecclesiastes 7 this morning, uh, verses 5 and 6, we'll look at. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 5 and 6. Solomon says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Titled today's message, What's on Your Playlist? I hesitated to use this as my title because it almost sounds like I'm just trying, I'm I'm going a little too far in bringing things from the current culture. Well, it's a real thing though. The word playlist is first used in 1972. Think back to 1972. I was two. (laughs) I was a young squirt. 1972, this word was first used, and it referred to songs that a DJ would choose to play on the radio. Back then, you couldn't make your own playlist. You had to go to a specific radio station uh, that played uh, your particular music, as it were. Well, things have changed since then, haven't they? You can make your own playlist. In fact, I have heard and seen on the internet where pastors in uh, churches, they talk about this coming Sunday's playlist for their hymns. And that's just going too far. You're not going to hear that from me anytime soon. Um, But you can make your own playlist, and that can be driven by a number of things. It can be your mood at the moment. I just don't feel like listening to that. Or it could be by the circumstances that you're going through. Or it could be your feelings or your desires that you want. This is what makes me, what helps me, or whatever the focus might be. A study was recently published titled this. Show me your playlist, and I will tell you who you are. An investigation of the social, psychological foundation of musical playlists. Sounds pretty dry and boring, doesn't it? But people need to earn their educational degrees, and so this individual did that. Well, that not only applies to music, but it applies to the things that you read. What you choose to read applies to the things that you choose to watch. It applies to the kind of people you choose to hang out with. Here, Solomon, in chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, he details how you must wisely respond, whether those are good times or bad times, particularly seen in uh, verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, and the day of adversity, consider. Last one, last, last week we looked at verse 1, which really sets the tone 
A good name is better than precious ointment, the day of death better than the day of one's birth. In verses 2 to 4, we need to recognize the difficulties we face in life, and that includes and especially involves death. Here, verses 5 to 10, he points out and warns about specific temptations that will be used by Satan and your sin nature to keep you from living a wise life in both good and bad times. I mentioned last week that Solomon uses a lot of Proverbs in Ecclesiastes, and I can't remember what definition of proverb I gave last week, but here's a definition, okay? A proverb is a compact statement teaching biblical wisdom, so a biblical proverb. A stitch in time saves nine, did I do that one right? That's a proverb, but you won't find it in the Bible. So I'm talking about biblical proverbs. Biblical proverbs are compact statements giving biblical wisdom. Let me give you three important things about proverbs to keep in mind. Biblical proverbs. The first thing is that they're snapshots. They're not documentaries. Okay, I love docu- <coughs> documentaries. Most of my family does not like documentaries. They're dry, they're boring. Maybe it's the history nut in me. I just love watching those and learning about that. A proverb isn't the full documentary telling you all about it. It's just a simple click picture right then and there. A second thing, the foundation and the atmosphere of biblical proverbs is the Mosaic Law. What they are built on What they grow out of, the foundation, is the Mosaic Law. And the atmosphere that they're given in is that time when the Mosaic Law was in full force. Solomon was under its jurisdiction. And so the difference between um, a proverb I might come up with and a proverb that Solomon or David or uh, Hezekiah's men came up with is With the Mosaic Law, that is like a concrete floor, whereas mine would be just dirt. What are we sitting on right now? You know, what what are we on top of? We are on top of a foundation that is made up of what? Concrete. Remember when the other half was just dirt? Why didn't we leave it that way? All kinds of creepy crawlies kind of come in. Your high heel would get stuck on it. It's dangerous. That's not a good situation. You can see the comparison. Biblical Proverbs are built on the solid foundation of God's word. But I also said that they occur in the atmosphere of God's truth there. The atmosphere, it's a, a pure atmosphere versus a contaminated atmosphere. Think back to uh, the place that we met at originally. It had its particular smell, didn't it? Here we're in purified air, aren't we? Well, you get the idea, I hope. So there's snapshots. They have the Mosaic Law as their foundation and atmosphere. A third important thing about biblical proverbs is they help you gain wisdom. They help you gain wisdom to correctly and skillfully apply God's truth to your life. To correctly and skillfully apply God's truth to your life. So, Solomon's set the tone here. The wise know that death is coming. Uh, He is hit hard 
life's agonizing realities. Death is coming, verses 2 and 4. So now he's going to talk about things that can tempt you from living the kind of life you should in good and bad times. And let's just remember something. Christian, Jesus died for you. And he died for you so that you will live for him. This word is for you. Let's listen to it and learn from it. The first temptation that we read about here in verse 5 and 6 is the temptation to listen to only what you want to listen to. That's the temptation. Those good times or in the bad times, you'll be tempted. I only want to listen to what I want to listen to. I don't want to listen to that. And he uses some different expressions. So uh, let's just kind of walk through this. The first, it uh, doesn't really matter who you listen to. Well, it says at the beginning of verse 5, it is better. Who you listen to affects what you think. You could write down Philippians 4.8. Who you listen to, who influences you, affects your thinking. It also, Colossians 3.1, it affects your outlook on life. How you view life. Colossians 1, we're told, don't set your mind on the things here, but set your mind on the things above where Christ is and live, consequently, a holy life. What you listen to. And remember, uh, when I use the word listen, uh, put it in quotes. It's not just audio, okay? It's also what you read, who's influencing you in that way. It teaches, it reinforces, and it reveals. What you listen to teaches. It's teaching you a certain way of thinking and living. It reinforces what has already been taught. It reveals what's there because remember, you're choosing. You're choosing um, what you need to do. What you listen to, it either, Romans 12, 2, conforms you to this world, or what's the other? Transforms you into the image of Christ. It affects you. It either conforms you to Christ's image or the, the world or it transforms you into the Christ's image. What you listen to, one last thing under the importance of this, what you listen to, it can never be separated from who you're listening to. It doesn't just happen out of the blue. Let's wait and see what kind of message these light bulbs are going to give us right now, okay? It doesn't. They can't. What you listen to cannot be separated from an individual. And as soon as you're talking about an individual, whether it is a, a natural being, a, a human being, or a supernatural being, an angel or a demon, as soon as you're talking about that kind of individual, there is morality involved. There's right and wrong. And you must be uh, careful about that. The concept of amoral, it's neither good nor bad. In God's creation, it's not only ridiculous, it's idolatrous. To say that something is neither good nor bad, when at the end of God's creation, we, what did God say about everything that he made? Behold, it was good. Here, God says it is better. So listen to God here. Number two, 
What makes someone wise? Better to hear the rebuke of the wise. What makes someone wise? Well, uh, as I kind of already alluded to, wisdom is the correct, skillful application of God's truth to everyday life. You got God's truth. You have God's truth. Wisdom is the correct application to your life and the skillful application to your life. Um, You have a, a computer and you know what it can do, but you don't know how to use it. You need training or a chainsaw or a hammer. You can use any number of things here. The scripture is God's truth and you need to correctly use it, skillfully use it. Someone who is wise then is someone who correctly and skillfully applies God's truth to everyday life. Hold your place here and like us to go to Psalm 119 for some important aspects of the wise person. So go to Psalm 119. And I chose this Psalm because, well, what's the emphasis of Psalm 119? It's the word of God. And wisdom is the skillful application of God's word to everyday life. So there's five things we need to learn about a wise person from Psalm 119. Look at verse, first of all, 38. Verse 38. Psalm 119, verse 38. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. The wise person, number one, fears the Lord. The wise person fears the Lord. He is devoted to fearing you. Number two, go to verse 125. Same psalm, verse 125. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. A second characteristic of the wise person. The wise person has a head knowledge of God's truth. Yes, I meant what I said there. A head knowledge of God's truth. You know the facts. You read it. You're able to understand it. It's more than that. I'm going to get to that. But you ha- it has to be there. Number three, verse 97. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. The wise person, number three, loves God's truth. He loves God's truth. And let me give you some other ones from Psalm 119 that uh, teaches this. There's also verse 113, verse 127, 140, and 165. I'll repeat those. 113, 127, 140, and 165. It's not just a head knowledge. It's, I love this. I love this. A last characteristic of the wise person is verse 100. He fears the Lord. He has a head knowledge of God's truth. He loves God's truth. And then verse 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. The wise person, number four, obeys God's truth. This is a truth that we read in 100 that runs throughout Scripture. It's not enough to know it. 
It's merely, it's also not enough to have an emotional response to it. The wise person obeys it. And when you know it and you love it and you obey it, that gives you, what did it say here in verse 100? More understanding, a synonym of wisdom. More understanding than the oldest person, the ancients. Obedience is essential to true knowledge. This is a wise person. Number three, what makes someone a fool? What makes someone a fool? Well, the Old Testament, the idea of a fool is someone who's an unbeliever. So it's not somebody who's just being silly or a court jester. It's an unbeliever. Proverbs talks a lot about this kind of a person. He leans on his own understanding. He follows the crowd. He lives in the moment. He lives for the moment. His aim in life, have a good time, good feelings, and good friends. Because this is it. That's the fool. Some characteristics of the fool. And go with me to Psalm 14. Psalm 14. Four characteristics of the fool. The unbeliever. Psalm 14, verse 1. The beginning statement. The fool has said in his heart, no God. You'll note there, the word there is, it's in italics in many of our Bibles, showing it's added. This is his outlook on life. God doesn't exist. The first characteristic of the fool, he doesn't fear the Lord. He lives as if there's no God. He lives without reference to God. God doesn't come into his life. He doesn't want God in his life. But yet he has to continually deny the existence of whom? Of God. Number one, the fool doesn't fear the Lord. He lives as if there's no God. Number two, drop down to verse two. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Number two, the old test the, the fool does not want to learn God's truth. Doesn't seek it, doesn't understand it, doesn't want to consider it. He doesn't understand. You see the contrast we're seeing now with the wise person? The wise person fears the Lord, the fool doesn't. The wise person knows God's truth. The fool that's the last thing he wants to spend his time and putting his mind on. Number three. Now we have to go to Proverbs 1. Proverbs chapter 1. For the last two. Last two characteristics of the fool. The fool does not fear God. He doesn't want any knowledge of God in him. Number 3, verse 22. Psalm 1, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 1, verse 22. Proverbs 1, verse 22. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, look at this, and fools hate knowledge. If the wise person loves God's truth, what's the contrast with the fool? He hates it. 
And that's the third thing about the fool. He hates the truth of God. He hates God's truth. One last characteristic, verses 29 and 30 of Proverbs 1. They, because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despise my every rebuke. They disobey God's truth. They disobey God's truth on every level. I want nothing to do with it. Reject all of it in every aspect of my life. This is the characteristic of a fool. Number four, let's go back to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7. Beginning of verse 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 5, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. So we've seen this is important. It's essential. We've considered the characters of the characteristics of the wise, the characteristic of the fool. Now let's focus on the words of them, their message, their rebuke of the wise. What is involved in a rebuke? Well, a rebuke is a warning about wrong behavior. A rebuke is a warning about wrong behavior. I'm going to use an illustration for one of my grandchildren, which are perfect, by the way. So this couldn't have happened, right? One of my grandchildren... Trying to make sure I don't pick the gender so you can't figure out which one it was. Because it couldn't have been mine. <laughs> Put their hand on a stove that was on this past week. And that little child said, praise the Lord. Now, do you think that child's parents ever told that child, don't do that? Yeah. Do you think it ever happened when the child was going towards it that the parents said, Dear child, please do not do that. No, they didn't do it that way. What would they say? Don't touch the stove. It hurts. But yet, what do children need to do to learn it by experience? The child went and did that. Ow. And they've got some nice blisters on their hand right now. A rebuke is a warning about wrong behavior. A rebuke from the wise, it's from the position and the foundation of God's truth. The wise sees the direction or what you're involved with. It's a wrong direction. And so from the position of God's truth, from the foundation of God's truth, that wise person says, stop. Don't go that way. Don't do that anymore. This rebuke is aimed at the conscience, not merely the head. It is aimed at the conscience. That conscience is that God-given part of us that receiving that truth gives an assessment of actions that is right or wrong. And a rebuke seeks It aims at that conscience with the ultimate goal of turning you away from sin and to righteousness. This is a rebuke from a wise person, a warning about wrong behavior based on God's truth, aimed at your conscience to help you see this is wrong so that you don't go that way then or you turn away from that way. What about its parallel? If you have the rebuke of the wise, what's the parallel with the fool? 
We have two things with the fool in verse 5 and verse 6. Better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. So we have two things here, the song and the laughter of the fool. What's involved with that? Well, remember, what characterizes a fool? They live as if there's no God. They don't want God's truth in their mind. In fact, what kind of emotional feeling do they have towards God's truth? They hate it. And they do everything they can to disobey it. They're not going to incorporate God's truth, bring their life in line with God's truth. So here we are talking about the song and the laughter of the fool, the one who is living as if there's no God. They come, the songs and the laughter, from the position of unbelief. What did Jesus say? Everything comes from the, out of the heart comes the issues of life. These songs and laughter are not aimed at changing the conscience. They are aimed at the sin nature that's coming from unbelief. And it's only aimed at one area. It's not aimed at the new nature that the Spirit gives. It's aimed at the sin nature. That's its aim because it's coming from a fool who hates God, who doesn't want to incorporate the things of the Lord. And so that's what it's aimed at. And the goal of such songs and laughter, as it were, is good times and good feelings right now. It's very rare that I share with you a good little nugget from one of my Hebrew lexicons, but I got a good one right now. Usually, almost all the time when I work through the the Hebrew, or in this case, or the Greek, I take what's said there, and I say, there's no way I'm going to read that. It'll just be forget. So I have translate it, Brent, so that we can understand it. But this nailed it. The songs and the laughter of the fool, it said, are designed to produce an upbeat feeling. Make me feel what? Good, good times, good experiences. That is what's involved in the songs and the laughter of the fools. So now, having all that, all this understanding, what's a wise person? What's a foolish person? Why is this important? What's a rebuke? What's the songs and the laughter of the fool? Let's come now. Having gotten all that, what's the point Solomon says? That brings us into number six for verse five. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Number six, be influenced by Christians, not unbelievers. This is talking about the character direction of your life. It's not saying become a monk. That's impossible. In fact, we're not supposed to, you know, withdraw into our own little cubicles of life. We're supposed to take the gospel where? To the world. We have to live among the world. But we are not to be conformed to it. That's what this is talking about. It is to be influenced by Christians, not unbelievers. There is a vast difference between the rebuke of the wise and the song of fools. The difference between Christ and Satan. The difference between heaven and this world. The difference between the Holy Spirit 
and the sin nature, the flesh. What's the title of today's message? What's on your playlist? In other words, what do you choose to listen to? What you choose to listen to or read or watch or your friends, whatever the case might be, that influences you. What motivates you to put what you do on your playlist, as it were? Most people don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. But what do we hear here? In good times and bad times, verse 14, you must seek out the rebuke of the wise. You must have a teachable, humble spirit. But most don't want that. Most people want to listen to what's fun. Remember, listen, watch, read, okay? Most people want to listen to what's fun, what's uplifting, what's encouraging, what's empowering. Become a better me. Most want to escape into their own little worlds. They want to be distracted from eternal truths. They don't want to think about heaven and hell. They don't want to be directed by God's truth. The song of laughter and fools, what it ends up doing, it ends up building a very comfortable castle with a moat and a drawbridge that enables fools to be protected from life-giving rebuke. Isn't that a picture? And that's what the fool does. He builds this castle, his playlist. He makes sure that there is no way for the truth, the rebuke of the wise to get in so that I can live how I want. I want to draw your attention to verse 5 again. And as I do so, let me first say, uh, and the purpose of this is to help you see that I'm, 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 I am not aiming to uh, get something out of the text that is not there. But how did we get this verse and what is its characteristic? Solomon wrote it. And as he wrote, who was guiding him in the very words that he chose to write? The Spirit. And who protected him from making any errors? The Holy Spirit. There's a, a circumstance in uh, Jesus' ministry where he focuses on the difference between a singular and a plural. Is there a cup of coffee over there? Or will there be cups of coffee, singular or plural? Okay. With that in mind, look at verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise, and that is singular. And for a man to hear the song of what? Fools. Everybody listens to this. Everybody watches this. Everybody reads this. Everybody's thinking this. This is the direction of everybody. And you think of what Jesus said. Wide is the way and broad is the path that leads where? Destruction. Many there be that go on it. And who's going on it? What kind of person? The believer or the unbeliever? The unbeliever. And what's the Bible word that we've looked here for an unbeliever? It's a fool. 
who has no place for God, doesn't want to know God, hates God, disobeys God, and yet, no, no surprise, they're all going that way. And so they are producing, if you will, media that helps you think that way, that directs you to go that way. And Solomon here says, in good times or in bad times, you must choose the narrow way. Heed, seek out the rebuke of the wise. Why do you need to do that? He tells us why in verse six, four. Here's why, because the crackling of thorns under a pot Like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this also is vanity. The reason why you must be influenced only by Christians in your walk, your spiritual life, your direction and character is number seven. Unbelief does nothing spiritually profitable. It does nothing spiritually profitable. We have here a picture, a point, and a setting. The picture here is uh, heating a pot uh, using a a fire of thorns. So you have something you need to cook. And you know my cooking abilities are really small, okay? You have something you need to cook, so you put it into a pot. This is all starting to get us hungry now, isn't it? The food in the pot has to be eaten so that you're able to eat it, or it has to be heated so you're able to eat it. How do you create heat? We just turn on our natural gas burning stoves that the government wants to take away and we turn it on. No, this is back in them days and you didn't have that. So you had to have something to light and burn. Well, we've got these thorns. They're good for nothing. The only thing that thorns are good for is making a a donation of blood from me. Maybe we can use that to heat up our, our pot, eat our food. Maybe that's what they can be used for. So you light the, the thorns and wow, what a big blaze and what a noise. But how long does it last? It's gone. Those of you who use wood to heat your house, do you use thorns? Or do you use something more substantial? I remember growing up, my dad burned wood. He had his favorite kind of wood that he would use. Uh, especially in a cold winter night. These great big things, and he had a name for it. He probably didn't get it, make it up himself, but he called certain types of wood, this is an all-nighter. It's solid, it's big, it's dense. It's going to burn how long? All night. Result, give us lots of heat. What about thorns? A lot of sound. A lot of flash, but no heat. It does nothing. It does nothing. That's Solomon's point when he says at the end of verse, this also is vanity. It's a breath. It's worthless. It's nothing. No significance. No substance. What's his point? So, number two, so is the laughter of the fool, which is parallel with the song of the fool's. The best that unbelievers can produce is fun times, escaping reality. They'll only seek out and be satisfied with these things, spiritually, in their life. How long, how lasting is laughing about foolish 
nonsense. I think the coffee pot is running. How long, how lasting is laughing about foolish nonsense? You can't cook over a pot of thorns or over a fire of thorns, can you? And you will, do, you will not have a spiritually God-pleasing life if you're being informed by this world. What's the setting? The wise rebukes. If you want to give an effective rebuke to somebody, what kind of setting do you do that in? You do it in a public setting? Oh, you go someplace private without distraction, full attention. What about the setting of the song and laughter of the fools? It's a party atmosphere. The greatest attendance, the highest viewing ratings, the most likes and the most follows. We have to heed what Solomon says here in good times and bad times. Put yourself in the company of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and minister to each other. You have to give these loving rebukes. What are some ways that you can hear these rebukes? Three ways. Number one, be in your Bible. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof or instruction and reproof or rebuke. A second way to be rebuked, to, to hear this, is, this is hard to say, but it's Second Timothy 4.2. Listen to your pastor. It seems self-serving, doesn't it? But a faithful pastor, he's supposed to, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, reprove, rebuke. But we don't want to be reproved and rebuked. We just want to have our, what? Ears tickled. But you need to grow in grace. A third way is be a faithful church member. Be a faithful church member. In our covenant, we state this. We will exercise a Christian care and watchfulness over each other, frequently exhort one another, and as the case may require, faithfully warn, rebuke, and admonish one another with kindness and wisdom. Resist the temptation to listen only to what you want to listen to. That's 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Resist the temptation to listen to only the things that you want to listen to. Itching ears, according to your own desires, and the end result, it turns your ears away from the truth and to be turned aside from fables. Let's heed what the Lord says here. Heed what the Lord says here. Who has your ear? What are you giving your ear to? Who? Are you giving your ear to? We should want to grow more like our Savior who died for us, who's coming again. Let's pray.